Women's Health Melbourne is a boutique specialist fertility and women's health practice, caring for women at all life stages. We're proud to provide world-class holistic medical care, including IVF and a range of other fertility treatments. We provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our two Melbourne locations are in Fitzroy and our new state-of-the-art Caulfield practice. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can follow both Women's Health Melbourne and Dr Rayleigh Alou on the socials. Confused about fertility and trying to get pregnant? Want to know more but don't want to flag it to the world? Welcome to our podcast, Knocked Up. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison. I have no medical background, but I'm a 40-year-old woman who has gone through freezing her eggs. I'm joined as always by Dr. Rayleigh Alou, a CREI certified reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist. We started the podcast with the aim to provide easy-to-understand information on hard concepts relating to fertility, infertility, and all aspects of women's health. Today we have a bit of a special episode. We have a couple, Katie and Jan, who are going to tell us their experience of creating a family with Dr. Lou's help. So welcome, Katie and Jan in the background. Thank Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. I don't really know a lot about your story. Obviously, Raelia knows all the details. How did we get to know you today? So I must have been about um, four and a half years ago or so, or maybe a bit longer than that, about five or six years ago, I was 34, 35, and a lot of my friends started talking to me and the family started talking to me about how I should freeze my eggs, and I didn't really want to be involved in that conversation because I was not that old. Uh, so I rang Melbourne IVF to, to with the idea to see someone to as a, more of a fact-finding mission to see what this was all about because everybody has an opinion on it and I didn't really know what it involved. And I rang up and I was referred to someone in particular, but she had a wait list of about a year. And then I said, well, that, that won't do. I'm on a fact-finding mission. Just give me the person who's got the least um, wait list. I think, sorry, Ralia. <laughs> No, it's fine because um, it, was, it was right back when I was just starting my practice. But I can't have been sure forward. Must have been more, Katie. Must have been like five, five and a half years. Yep. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I met Ralia in uh, January 2016 to, with the whole idea that I just wanted to freeze my eggs. And I was at that stage, I was really busy at work. Um, I'd been home from living an awesome life in London for about three or four years uh, and I wasn't I knew that I thought I might want a family but it wasn't really on the agenda for me right then and there so that's that's how I first met Raylia and I think that's really important Katie is that for people listening who are thinking about freezing their eggs there's actually no decision to be made and straight away and that fact finding takes time and the investigations take time and if people are thinking of freezing their eggs, they should start investigations because they don't have to do anything, but then they make an informed decision. Yeah, and for me that's – I think I got frustrated with everyone having an opinion of it and it was often my friends that have got kids and um, I think when when you're in a stage of your life where you're not in a position where 
you, I was in a relationship with someone that didn't want to have kids and, um, yeah, my lifestyle, I was living with my brother. Um, it was not the time in my life that I thought I would want to have kids. Although if, if you told me 10 years earlier, I would have thought by, that by 34, 35, maybe it was something that would be on the cards, but it's just, it's a, it's a funny time of your life being that age. Um, when you're in that situation, when it comes up too often with your mates and your family, you just need to get I just needed to get advice on what the what the process was and how because some people say oh at that stage people were like oh it's it's not something it's really expensive and it's not very reliable and other people were saying well it's something you should definitely do because you're going to be too old soon to even think about it and being in a same-sex relationship it was going to be I was going to have to go through sort of some sort of IVF or wasn't necessarily a natural conception anyway so um, it made sense for me to try and do with it, to deal with it. But it was a big, I think it was, I was surprised how much just turning up to the appointment for me was a really big thing to be acknowledging and mm. um, and going through, just knowing that you're at that age but and that it's something that you would like to be doing but you weren't quite in the position to be doing. So I can understand why, like I probably put it off for a little while. I think that's a really common experience. Women who end up freezing eggs often do contemplate it for even several years before they end up seeing a doctor. So yep. Katie, you ended up deciding that you would want to freeze your eggs. Um, yep. I'm going to ask you a little bit about your experience of freezing your eggs because you had one of the rarer complications in IVF and egg freezing during your treatment. Can you walk us through how you felt during your treatment and what happened? Yeah, I think the first, it was the the whole process went on for about six months, I think. I think the first thing you that I'll never forget you saying to me was, egg freezing is plan B. If you want to get pregnant, I can help you get pregnant. That's plan A. And I think realising... said that's me too, Katie. She's a pusher. <laughs> I didn't like hearing it, and especially from someone I just met, but it was the right thing for me to hear at the time because then I had you um, did a scan on me and my I didn't have many follicles at that time of my cycle. And I didn't look like I was going to be a very good candidate for egg freezing. And I went away from that appointment thinking and that the best thing to do would just be to get pregnant now. And and that to me was mind blown. Um, and then I got my blood test results back and my hormone levels. You're going to have to correct me on the medical details, Riley, if I get it wrong. But the hormone levels were high enough that egg freezing was back on the cards. But in the meantime, in between those appointments, I'd been looking at the donor website and deciding, gosh, what am I going to do? And I think I turned up to that appointment still not knowing what I wanted to do. And so, but that whole process probably fast-tracked me. I went and got some, you know, talked to someone professional about what I wanted um, and it gave me clarity that, yes, I did want kids and that that was something that was definitely going to add to my life and that rather than missing the boat altogether, but then egg freezing was back on the cards. So we organised to um, go through the process um, of freezing my eggs, which was hormone injections and timing everything with a cycle. And then when it came to doing the egg collection, I went under and the trigger didn't appear to have worked. And I had to own up that I took the trigger an hour later than, than what you had recommended because I don't know. I was sitting at home on a Saturday night waiting to take the trigger when I told Jan this. I think it would be... I, how do you forget to do something when you're at home on a Saturday night just to do it? But anyway, two, we had two goes at collecting the, the follicles, but there were no eggs there. And so then I had to come back two days later and have another trigger. 
and so and then we were able to get uh, some follicles. That is that is that right? Yeah, that's right. So you had a failed trigger. So that that happens to about one in a thousand patients in IVF. So it's pretty rare. And it's when the trigger doesn't work and it cannot work for a variety of reasons. It cannot work because uh, it was not administered correctly. It cannot work because the drug is a failed batch or it cannot work because a patient's not susceptible to the type of trigger that they were given. And I ended up actually giving you another trigger type the second time round. In egg freezing, we usually use what's called a GnRH agonist trigger, which is the safest possible type of trigger with the most reduced chance of getting what's called hyperstimulation syndrome which can be a side effect of the process that's quite nasty so I usually have that kind of trigger as my go-to trigger for someone like yourself who is freezing eggs electively but in the end you actually had a classical trigger which was an 8cg trigger and at the second egg collection uh, we managed to find eggs and I think you know I was I was actually, you know, kind of we were were lucky that I tweaked as to what was happening and stopped emptying follicles because if you continue to empty follicles, then there's not the option of the re-trigger and going back um, for more. But egg freezing's always been a particular passion of mine and something that I uh, have studied very, very widely. (laughs) And, um, And so I figured out what was going on, which is very lucky. Flash forward, your eggs are in the freezer. Yep, mags are in the freezer. So I've bought myself some time, and I'm and I'm just continue with my life. Um, and then I met Jan, and she was definitely the perfect person for me to have raised a family with. And we, but I just we just had to I just had to convince her of that. Yeah, we I suppose got together, and then and then there was a conversation around whether we wanted to have kids and I think probably the process that I'd gone through with freezing my eggs and explaining that to Jan she, it, children was always something that she had probably she had wanted as well and then I, we went and met and saw you together Raylia and and then we had to decide uh, whose vessel we were going to use because I had eggs frozen and I'm just slightly younger than Jan only very slightly and so uh, we decided to do the same process for Jan, but with the idea of um, having having a live birth from the process. So we did that in February 2018. Jan had her eggs collected and then we um, had a trial with a fresh embryo, which didn't work, and then we used a frozen embryo and I'm probably a month ahead of us. We probably did the – it was in January that we probably did the fresh embryo transfer and then – in February, we did the frozen embryo transfer, and that was lucky enough to stick. And we've got a beautiful little turbo turtler at 23 months old, and he's the best thing that's ever happened to both of us. Can I ask, how did you choose the sperm? Choosing the sperm, there's a donor registry. We both knew that we wanted to have an opportunity to carry, but we wanted the same genetics between the kids, between our future kids. Um, so it was really important. That was really important to us. So we needed to have an allocation of of two for that to work. And then I suppose it's in my head before we looked at. There's a registry through Vata that that is available to you through Melbourne IVF. Um, and you just once you've signed, once you've gone through the process and jumped through the hoops, you can have a look at it. 
Uh, I, th- I think I just thought, I think both of us thought that I thought I'd see someone and go, oh, that sounds like Jan. That's, you know, that sounds like us. And you get a whole lot of information on them, a little bit about hair colour and eye colour and um, phys- physicality, but more on what they were like growing up and what their personality traits are and how their friends would describe them and what sort of things they do now in life, which is quite nice. And there's a, the, the donors write a letter to the, to the future children um, that they can read. Um, so that gives you a sort of an idea of what the person's like. But once we, we narrowed down the list to um, someone that had two, an allocation of two, one of us, I can't remember which one, was CMV negative. And so we had to choose a CMV negative sperm because there were problems that would arise if we had a CMV or potential problems that would arise during a pregnancy with a CMV positive sperm. So that cut out some of the list again. Um, and so in the end, there was not a whole lot of choice, except we were able to find the sperm donor that sounded like a great person. They had similar traits to us from a from a physical nature. And I don't think we can complain with the genetics that Angus has got. He's a great, he's very cute and um, and he's got a great temperament. And that, that was an interesting, I think we turned up at one of the appointments and said, oh gosh, it's been disappointing that there hasn't been a whole lot of choice. Um, and there's different types of IVF you can do. Um, there's sperm that's available for IUI, there's sperm that's available for IVF and then there's sperm that's available for ICSI and so and Rayleigh might be able to explain that in much better medical terms than I will be but this one was ICSI so it was a little bit more expensive and it was a little bit more fiddly and I think we turned up to one of Rayleigh's appointments she said oh if it's only sperm that's a problem we can we can sort that out we can get sperm from from anywhere (laughs) we didn't didn't need to go down that track because we were we were happy with being able to go through this ICSI route. Yeah, ICSI just means that the sperm isn't perfect on paper. So basically what we do is we go by the World Health Organization criteria and they took about 5,000 guys from all across the globe who'd had a natural conception without trouble and they graphed their sperm and they drew a line on the fifth centile of the fertile population. And if in any of the sperm parameters the sperm falls below that cutoff uh, is deemed for ICSI because particularly in a donor conception circumstance we don't want to have a low fertilization rate we want to have a a nice high fertilization rate and good IVF outcomes so we sometimes you know when you know kind of a couple come and the sperm can look really dire we might still choose to use that sperm because it's important to the couple to have their genetics on board but in a donor context, if the sperm looked really absolutely terrible, it would not be suitable for sperm donation. So ICSI sperm, it just means that it's a little blip on the semen analysis that one or more parameters was below the fifth centile for the WHO cutoffs. So you chose a sperm and Jan had her egg collection. Yep. And her trigger wo- and her trigger worked. The trigger worked. <laughs> and then what happened, Raylia? Well, then we next met again thinking about baby number two. Yep. So baby number two um, was we met again and started started talking about that. And then in June, you know, I think it was June, July, I think probably June last year, 2019, 
we thawed one of my eggs and did a it's not a we did an untested so all of the embryos were in the freezer untested genetically um and so we thawed them and we put one we put what we fertilized them all and then put one in because um, they were thought as egg they were frozen as eggs not as embryos then the rest of the fertilized eggs were tested but this but because there's not enough time between thawing them testing them and then using them for a conception we didn't test this one but it was fine anyway um, and we got pregnant with that pregnancy and then came to see you at the six week mark and it all looked great there was a heartbeat and it was all good and then um, I thought we, there was one heartbeat there was one heartbeat <laughs> I stopped looking when I saw one heartbeat that's a mistake <laughs> I bet you I bet you scan a bit care I bet you scan extra carefully now <laughs> well no um, sometimes I think that other they, they ended up being two heartbeats they were identical twins but I certainly didn't see the other one. Having said that, when we do IVF scanning, we do it when embryos are about one third of a centimetre in size. So sometimes you can have a little sneaky embryo that's tricky to see, as was in this case. So we, um, at 10 weeks, went and saw our obstetrician and they said, and she did a, um, the funniest thing was when we went to get, when we, with Jan's pregnancy, we went to the obstetrician and they say, oh, um, we're not going to do a scan now. And you're so used to IVF that Jan went to unbuckle her belt and pull her trousers down. They're like, no, 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 we don't need to do an internal scan. It's all that external. And so I knew it was an external scan, but she was scanning. And we were. I think we felt like, oh, we've been here before. We know what this is all about. And then she said, oh, I'm just going to have to do an internal. I think I can hear, I think I can see two heartbeats. Um, and Jan asked for a chair. <laughs> And, um, yeah, sure enough, there were two heartbeats um, and so the embryo had split and we were, and then we went home to try and get our head around the fact that we were going to have three children under two. And a lot of our friends, a lot of my friends in particular laughed and said this wouldn't happen to anyone else. Uh, then we, at, everything was going okay and then at, at 16 weeks, 17 weeks, um, we, there started to be signs of um, the twins not sharing the placenta very well and we were diagnosed with something called twin-to-twin transfusion and um, also selective intrauterine growth restriction, which basically meant that one of the twins was getting more of the blood and nutrients from the placenta than the other. And so we were refer- referred to a specialist for management of that um, wait and see game to see whether they it was going to neutralize um, or whether it was going to get a little bit worse and we were managed by an amazing medical team here in Melbourne and we actually went up to at, at about 20 23 weeks gestation we went up to Brisbane for a second opinion because there was someone up there that does a lot of surgery on um, placentas it was really clear once we saw the scan up there that the the when the umbilical cord was coming out of the placenta, it just they were nearly anastomosed. They were together, joined together rather than separate, and um, so it just was became an, a pregnancy that was not gonna not gonna be viable. Um, and so we lost the twins at 24 weeks, um, which was pretty disappointing, but um, well, very disappointing and a lot to go through. But I suppose 
you do we did for the boys they were boys and we did for the boys what you do for any of your kids and we gave them every single opportunity to to thrive and it just wasn't meant to be so I think we contacted Euralia during during that process and just talked about fertility and and what and sort of just explained where we were at and it wasn't long after after we went through the process of of delivering the twins and we sort of came back to you and wanted to I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a doer and so I just we wanted to you know get get on with things and and we met up with you and made a plan for what would happen next um, but we took a little bit of time and at the delivery there was so I'm not very good at creating placentas I don't think at the at the delivery there was complications with the placenta and the placenta was the problem with the pregnancy the whole time when the twins were delivered the placenta didn't deliver um, and so I had to have I had to have surgery to get rid of to well to extract the placenta and there was a risk that there would have been leftover placenta um, when that during that process um, and it turns out that there was so I had to have a couple of procedures early in early this year in 2020 to try and correct that. So you ended up, Katie, having the retained placenta and then a further procedure to remove a bit of leftover placenta. Correct. And then after that happened, we were worried that you might have a situation called Asherman syndrome. Do you want to talk to your experience of that? We did. We were planning on doing a cycle and, and another cycle to... Um, well, the first cycle after the twins, uh, and when I had had medication, the, I had the drugs to try and get the lining of my uterus ready for an embryo transfer, and it just didn't. The lining just didn't look like it was created, being created evenly, and there ended up looking like there was a bit of a fluid-filled sac in my uterus, um, which I now know needs to look long and in a nice th- three thin lines. And Isn't it amazing what we learn. <laughs> know all about it now become experts in such things yes uh we decided to we didn't weren't going to go with that with that I think even Raylio when I saw you you thought that you could actually see some adhesions or scar tissue in there so when during the scan so I had another procedure because it was looking like the retained placenta had maybe caused and uh, some adhesions or scar tissue on the inside the placenta that was not going to be a welcoming place for a little embryo that we wanted to thrive. So we aborted that. Um, we aborted that, um, or we, we decided not to go ahead with that with the embryo plant plantation. And we, I had another procedure to just see, have a look, see, see, and a watch out. And Katie, I remember you asking me around that time whether we should make some more embryos. I said to Ralia, we had two leftover embryos in the freezer that at that stage. So I had after my egg freezing, I think I got 21 eggs at the harvest and 16 of them made it through to being frozen. And of those 16, I think, I think maybe eight fertilised, but then only four of them made it through to the stage where they could go back in the freezer as frozen embryos or being used. So we used one for the twins so and and we had them all genetic. We had the leftover ones genetically tested, and there are two that look pretty good, and one that's a mosaic, which basically is they don't know they, the part of the embryo that they've taken. They're not quite sure whether it's great or not. So in my head, 
you know, you start counting how many kids that is or and then you know that you know that this, I'm a bit of a numbers-driven person so you know the, that there might be a 50% chance of them going through and, I, and I've turned 40 this year and the eggs are 35-year-olds and so sitting in the hospital I said to Aurelia, well, we'll just do another egg for, we'll just do another egg collection and yeah I was keen to make sure that I had my insurance policies but Raleigh said no let's just let's just wait and see and um I don't you said I'll do it for you if you want but I don't think it's that necessary right now so we didn't and I didn't need to <laughs> so what we did was we had to let your uterus have the essential ingredient that it needed which was time and I think you know, that, that's a lesson, I think, in that we always want things to happen on our timeline. I'm very much like that myself. But sometimes the body just needs a bit of time to come back from, from a trauma. And your lining was very, very thin and wasn't responding to estrogen. But what we did was we gave it a longer course, gave it a lot more time. That probably felt like a never-ending cycle for you didn't it because I primed with estrogen before I stimulated with FSH oh yeah that was a long I think Jan had two periods when I when I was going through the one cycle of I don't know how many scans do you reckon you had in that month when we were getting you ready for implantation every two days we saw a lot of each other we did they weren't I think I was probably the best patient on your books because they were about three minute appointments so I walked in and went straight to the to the scanner Knew what to do, you became you were a pro. <laughs> right, so the uterus, so the lining was ready, everything was ready to go, and you transferred one of the tested embryos. Yeah, I think the funny one of the funny things to mention is by the time we it was looking like there was I had the Ashermans and you know, you do start time I know we've said everyone we needed time and time was probably a good thing psychologically as well as physically for us. Um, and I think, the, you know, sometimes the body does these things for a reason, but we're also in a really fortunate position that we had two ovens. And so we went to one of the appointments with Raylia before this because we decided to do a trial. Raylia called it, I don't know, you probably knew exactly in your head what was what you were going to do, but we had it, we were doing a trial run for me and it was, and you, I think you said, look, if it's everything's looking really great, we'll implant, but we won't set it up just yet because because we'll just see what happens to your uterus. And I thought we might have even signed Jan up to be pregnant for the, I was, by that stage, I was like, we just want more kids. Like, <laughs> let's go with whatever's going to get us through that. But obviously it's a, it's a huge thing having you or your partner go through, go through a pregnancy. And so, yeah, I think it was, we, we didn't quite know, we couldn't quite say in six months' time what was going to happen because it was a bit uncertain. But we decided to do a trial, a trial with loading up on the estrogen and then and having yeah lots of scans to see what how we could see whether we could grow the lining of the uterus. And we watched it and it and it and you gave me each estrogen. It grew and then and you were also was you also gave me another medication to stop me getting my period. That was the estrogen. Okay, you, the estrogen stops you from getting a period a bit like it does in the pill. Mm. So the estrogen stops you from ovulating and it also just primes the lining. And then I think I did some ovulation induction on top of that for you, Katie. So we yeah. gave you some follicle stimulating hormone, which is an IVF drug to grow a follicle. And the reason I wanted you to grow a follicle is because 
we wanted you to a thicken the lining as best we could over a longer period of time but also so you could support a pregnancy more naturally with your own corpus luteum um, because we wanted that to hopefully make the nicest kind of placenta there's a bit of literature uh, that shows that while artificial cycles which are a cycle that we use fairly frequently in IVF it's a more American approach where we grow the lining purely with artificial hormones and sustain it purely with artificial hormones there's a slightly increased risk of having a placental problem with growth restriction and placental dysfunction so I really wanted you to have your own follicles supporting the pregnancy as well so that was the that was the goal of of that therapy and eventually you did ovulate yeah (laughs) well then I had the problem that I wasn't ovulating (laughs) so it just went on a bit longer (laughs) I think probably like four weeks or three weeks something like that before we were ready and yeah and then so then it looked like it was game on and um, I had an embryo transfer yeah we couldn't believe it when it actually happened so that was that was really exciting for us it was I suppose it was different like it, it there it had been such a massive year it's it's ended up being a, a, a calendar year after the I think my egg tr- embryo transfer was a day before we had the transfer for the boys so it's the, the timeline is relatively similar and so it's been I think it was it was a. I didn't realize how big it was going to be finding out they were pregnant with this pregnancy, um, just just the watershed of of the last year and and achieving something that we weren't quite sure would actually happen. Yeah. So it was really exciting, but with a touch of sadness as well about the twins. So Katie, when you were experiencing that kind of diagnosis of Asherman syndrome when the lining was very thin it wasn't responding it looks very thin at hysteroscopy you contemplated whether Jan would carry the embryo that you had made from your frozen eggs yep can you talk a little bit about that conversation between you and what it meant to you I don't know. I suppose we've got over the last year in particular, we've got so good at talking about um, hard conversations and decisions to make about our life. I suppose there's just been so much uncertainty, like without even going through a a pandemic, there's been so much uncertainty with um, the pregnancy we had with the twins and then not knowing after having the procedure or after finding out that that, that I had Asherman's, I suppose you just start thinking about your options and given the fact that we're both above 40, I suppose it fast tracks things a little bit. I'm trying to think about when we first had the conversation, that conversation. I think we probably had it pretty early about if part of you feels like you're in a fairly lucky position because we've, we have got the opportunity to, we did have the opportunity to use another vessel and still use my genetics. Um, But at the same time, you know, being pregnant sometimes isn't that easy, especially in the first 14 weeks and it can it can be really hard work and can be tiring and I suppose I was looking forward to it. Being the support person is a completely different experience to being the one that's pregnant. Jan, I suppose Jan and I would, would have, either of us would have done anything to grow our family and, and move forward and Jan was really supportive in saying, if I need to get pregnant, I'm happy to 
I'm happy, like that'll be something that I'd easily do for us. But at the same time, she was like, I want you to have the experience of being pregnant and breastfeeding and, you know, I want you to have that special bond because it is pretty special. And I suppose to get my head around it, initially I think the first couple of weeks I really I struggled a little bit with the concept that I wouldn't be able to have kids or have that I might not be able to fall pregnant myself um, and go through that experience. But then you start thinking about things that, um, a positive like Angus and my relationship has been amazing it's always been great but it, you know that special bond for the first six months to a year with a birth mother and their baby where they're, they're the one that they're dependent on and reliant on it's complete like in the last year of Angus's life we've spent more time just doing things with he, he's got a special relationship with me and a special relationship with Jan and then for me to have a be the dependent person for a new baby I was wondering about and now now being pregnant, I, you know, you've got to think about special things that we're going to be able to do to maintain that bond because for the first year it was all about Jan, which is which is the right thing for it to all be about. But, yeah, you've got – you start thinking about – you start, I don't know, you start thinking about positives of any way you can look at it and the end goal is to have a family and I'm really lucky that we've got the eggs and that – well, in my mind at the time I felt I'm really lucky that we've got the eggs that have got my genetics – and it'll be a phase that it'll be a phase and it will be different, but, um, but we'll get through it. I did, I mentioned earlier that when I was not sure if I, you know, I thought I might want kids and I had way before I met Jan that I went and spoke to someone. I'm lucky enough that I've got someone that I've talked to from a young age and she knows me really well and, and I can pick up the phone and have a chat about something that I'm having trouble processing myself. I contacted her and said, this has happened. You know, I'm, I'm nervous about how I might, I, I don't want to, I, I was worried that if Jan got pregnant, I would find that hard to be as supporting as I was the first time because it, it was something that I really wanted and I didn't want any of, I didn't want any resentment or any issues. And she was able to talk me through that that would probably not be the case because um, that's not the type of person I am and that I'm already thinking about that. And so I had, I had help processing. I think, I think if someone, sat us down five years ago and told us the journey we would need to go through to have our little family that it would um that I, I wouldn't believe it but it hasn't really and I think maybe if you look at it on paper there's been like when Raylia said you've got you've had quite the story it's hard you know you've just gone from one thing to the next and it hasn't felt like that we've we're really lucky that we've got each other and I think going through what we did last year with the twins and then um, and then having uh, going through COVID and all the restrictions, I can safely, and then going through the the process of maybe not being able to fall pregnant. Um, I feel very confident sitting here, knowing knowing that I've got the right person. It's so important to have the right person beside you as as a support, and that you're you, you're a team. But we've also got amazing friends and family that have really helped us, and we've talked about it. And we've when we've needed help, we've reached out. Everything from egg freezing through to IVF journeys can be really challenge can be really really challenging. Um, there's obstacles you don't think that you'll come across, and um, I think it's so important to to be able to get know where you can get help from. And I'm like really lucky that I've got good help in in the people around me. I'm going to ask you a question on a, on another topic. Mm-hmm. So you're a very busy working woman. Yep. Very high flying role. 
managing lots of people. How did you find you coped with IVF and how did it impact on your life from egg freezing to having babies in that context? It's, it, I feel like overall it's made the process of what we've been through, both with um, the egg freezing, being pregnant with a difficult pregnancy that needed a lot of scans and then trying to get pregnant and having regular scans. But, you know, those appointments, you just need to fit them in. There's no real flexibility about it. You can't go, well, I can leave, let my hair go another week. They, you need to fit them in and they need to happen on a particular day. I feel like it's made me a better boss because people, I work in an industry where there are a high proportion of women and I'm so, I feel like I'm more understanding now than I would have been five or 10 years ago of other people going through a similar situation to me. And I don't know, it's just one of those things that you don't think you've got time for it, but then all of a sudden it's a priority because so you find time for it. And I think life is life is all about priorities and it's amazing how much in the last three or four years my priorities, I still prioritise my work incredibly highly, my, but family and my immediate family and um, the process that you need to go through to, to have a family and look after your family have become a really high priority. So you just, you find the bits, you find the bits that are flexible to fit in around things. I think some of the questions that I must have said to you in, in a lot of our appointments, really, were like, oh, I'm going to be away that weekend. Do I really have to come back? <laughs> and you were like, well, Remember you, can that. you can get a blood test at this place if you want to, but I really need you to do a scan. So you need to be back in this day. So, you know, things like that, weekends away and you've just got to prioritize. If it's important, you just have to prioritize. But yeah, it was hard. You if you told me if you told me before it all happened that I was going to have to make time every two days to drive to leave work and drive to an appointment to get a scan and then drive back, then I would have said it was impossible. But you just make the impossible possible when it's important. And people are understanding. Like a lot of people, I think people. Um, I'm lucky that I work with a group of people that are understanding and I feel really, I actually feel really grateful for the experience I've gone through because it's made me a more understanding person. I'm not in a, I'm not in, I'm in health, I'm not in a corporate industry, so I can't really speak about, um, I would hope that there's as much flexibility in a corporate world, but I'm not, I'm not, I can't, I can't comment on that, but um, I, in the industry I work in, there's a whole lot of understanding if you if you can explain yourself. So I think that's really reassuring to hear because the dedication that you have to have to the process does place limits on what you can do and when you can do it. And knowing that you manage to work that out with your workplace, I think is very reassuring to people who are thinking, I can't make this work. Katie, if you could jump in a time machine and talk to your 2016 self who was thinking about freezing her eggs, what would you say to her? I would say you're right not to jump into it straight away. I'd probably, I, I would love it if I could jump into it. Well, it hasn't really made a difference for me. I was about to say that I would love it if you could jump in, if I could tell my 30-year-old self in 2010 to freeze my eggs. But in it hasn't really made a difference because I'm we're pregnant now. We're going to end up with a beautiful little family and and we will we'll have had enough eggs. In 2016, I suppose just be I think be patient throughout the whole journey, which is, <laughs> and that it'll it'll work out, which is a really hard thing to, um, and I think particularly at the end of last year when you know I was always the 
I was always looking at the end goal and wanting the end goal to happen right now. We we had thought we were going to be pregnant and lost lost the boys and then having and then wanted to just get going again. So I think I think the 2016, if I could speak to 2016, I'd just I think I'd say it's all going to be okay. Um, and if I could speak to myself a year ago, I'd say yeah, just be patient, give it time. Which is you can smile, Riley. I guess that's exactly what you were telling me to do, and I gave you a lot of pushback. But yeah. Thank you so much, Katie and Jen. That was just fascinating and so nice to hear a story of someone freezing their eggs and using them. Thank you. Yeah, and just I think one of the other reasons that we asked you to share your story and that you so kindly and, you know, selflessly and obligingly agreed, which we're so grateful for, is that you've really experienced a lot of things that people go through in IVF but not necessarily going through all of those things and mm. you know you come out the other end of the process hopefully um, and may only good things happen moving forward but hopefully with the goals that you set at the beginning having been met and I think it is so important to be goal focused but it's also really important to step back see the whole chessboard and plan big picture and I think you guys have really done that amazingly and I uh, wish you only happiness in expecting hopefully the arrival soon of the newest member of your family. Thank you, Raylia. Thank you so much, Geordie, as well. Yeah, yeah it's, been a, it's been a journey and it's, um, I, I, it, the whole journey has taught me heaps from the egg freezing through to now. I just about, yeah, it's... I, it, it, it all seems very medical at times, but it's also taught me lots about myself and, and my priorities in life. And yeah, it's, the journey's been quite amazing. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Knocked Up. For more information on egg freezing, fertility and women's health, you can visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. If you enjoy listening to Knocked Up and find our resource useful, please take a moment to leave a review. This really helps others to find us. You can also follow us on social media at Women's Health Melbourne, at Dr. Raylia Lou, and at Knocked Up Podcast. Mm-hmm.